Let's turn to chapter 32 of the London Baptist Confession of Faith. We are dealing here with the last chapter of the confession, um, the last judgment, the final judgment. And the Bible says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Hebrews 9, 27. Um, I'll volunteer to read for us the first paragraph, and then I shall read paragraph 2. <coughs> appointing this day is for the manifestation of the glory of his mercy in the eternal salvation of the elect and of his justice in the eternal damnation of the reprobate who are wicked and disobedient for then shall the righteous go into everlasting life and receive that fullness of joy and glory with everlasting rewards in the presence of the Lord but the wicked who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ shall be cast aside into everlasting torments and punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Last time we considered paragraph one, we saw that <clears throat> there is certainty regarding the final judgment that God has appointed a day. He says that God has appointed a day. There's a fixed day. And that day is coming. And so we considered, <clears throat> first of all, the one sitting on that throne, on the judgment seat. He says he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ. And then it dealt with the person who is going to be judged. He says there, <clears throat> to whom all power and judgment is given of the Father in which day, not only the apostate, apostate angels shall be judged, but likewise all persons that shall li have lived upon the earth shall appear before the tribunal of Christ. So it dealt with the person who is going to be judged, the apostate angel, and all those who have lived on earth. And then lastly spoke of the process of judgment at the end there. It says, but likewise all persons that have lived upon the earth shall appear before the tribunal of Christ to give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds, and to receive according to what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. That the works of people will be examined. People will give an account of all their deeds, all their works, all their thoughts, <clears throat> and they will receive their just due according to their works. And so we can see there that the works of the people demonstrate whether they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, whether they are saved whether they are not saved. For the Christian, the dominating character in their life is obedience to God. 
For the non-believers, the dominating character is a life of sin and disobedience. <clears throat> this brings us to the second paragraph, which has to do with the purpose of the last judgment. What is the aim? What is the goal of the final judgment? It says the purpose, the end, that's the purpose of this judgment, of God's appointing this day, is for what? <clears throat> Manifestation of the glory of his mercy in the eternal salvation of the elect. What else do you see in that, uh, do you see in that paragraph? <clears throat> Saves, saves his people mm. out of mercy mm. and that he he damns the wicked mm. out of justice. Okay. Yes, that God is going to save a people for himself and he's going to punish the reprobates. <clears throat> judgment that believers receive in the end is everlasting life and everlasting reward and the uh, the judgment that the wicked receive is eternal torments punishment for forever yeah so it, it, it clearly is describing for us the purpose of the judgment of God and it's also describing to us how that judgment is going to be accomplished. How that purpose is going to be accomplished, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> and the purpose of this judgment, what is the purpose of this judgment from that, from that paragraph? justice okay um, so mm. so for for the left it says it's to show his mercy mm -hmm. and to show justice in the eternal damnation of the reprobate okay that's the purpose really isn't it that god's chief purpose of undertaking this judgment is to display his attribute to all moral creatures. What we see here is that God is both merciful and just, and we must not emphasize one attribute at the expense of another. There are people who emphasize a lot on the love of God. They say, for God so loved the world, God loves everyone. Um, but <clears throat> we should stop and understand as well that God is holy. God is a God of wrath. And God is inflexible 
as regards to the demands of his justice. So the question may arise, how can God be merciful to the redeemed as well as be just to the wicked? How can he be that? How can he be both merciful and justice? together really I think yes. okay how can God be both merciful and justice just uh, and just sorry and just just to some people as well as merciful to some people at the same time how can he have both characters at the same time their sins are pardoned mm. without justice. Mm. It's just that their punishment is attributed to someone mm. to someone else. Yeah. And God is merciful in that he's the one who provided that way yeah. to escape punishment. Yeah. Mm. I agree. So Jesus Christ is the answer to that conundrum, isn't it? God can be just and merciful all at the same time. Why? Because he has imputed our sins on Jesus Christ. And uh, the passage in Romans 3 says, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So on the cross is where we see both mercy and justice all at the same time fulfilled. He justifies all all isn't it jesus christ does justifies all by keeping the demands of the law isn't it and uh, he's punished on our behalf so he bears the wrath of god on the cross so that the justice of god is accomplished isn't it so to for for those who have been saved god has not bypassed his justice isn't it no one can accuse him of being unjust. No one can accuse him of saving a particular people and not saving others and being unjust. No. 
just the demands of the law have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ and justice has been, has been met on our behalf. Um, okay. Perhaps you should also say there that um, <clears throat> while, uh, while justice and mercy are displayed on the cross, God is just and God is merciful without the cross because that's his character. The cross is the display of his character. When Jesus Christ dies upon the cross, God does not then become merciful because God is, uh, God in his plentitude of being is who he is. He says, I am who I am. So, so the cross is just a display of his of, of those attributes that uh, our pastor is, is telling us about just like god god does not become angry when sin is committed god is a wrathful god out of his being and when sin is committed his wrath is displayed um so that god is i think that that just keeps us from falling off the edge when we think about the attributes of god God does not become things. We do not cause things upon God. He is the uncaused one, the uncreated one, the one who causes everything, but nothing is in him is caused. Um, and because of that, then, uh, uh, in the f- fullness of the plentitude of his being, God just is. And so the mercy, when, when, we, when we sing that song, that, that hymn, that uh, uh, mercy and justice where truth and mercy meet is upon the cross uh, the hymn writer uh, uh, rightly acknowledges that they meet there they, they are already in God but that's where they meet that's where they are displayed to us um, sinful sinners mm. so the first thing that I'd like you to see is that the purpose of God's judgment is to do what? is to display his mercy and his justice as he's told there. Let's turn to Romans chapter 9. So here we have an extended explanation of the sovereignty of God in choosing those he's going to save and those he's going to bypass and it is his prerogative Um, so we have the text in verse 22 and 23 Uh, but uh, before that let me read verse uh, verse 11 though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have Compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Um, and then we have this text there in verse 22 and 23 says, 
What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order that in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory even as whom he has called not from the Jews only but also from the Gentiles so you see in these verses God is trying to make something known to us trying to display something um, what is it is he displaying what are the attributes being displayed there in verse 2023 his wrath yes he's trying to display his wrath Patience. Mercy, yes. What else? His power as well. Yes, good power. And and um, one of the ways God displays all these characters is through creation, through salvation, and as well as his judgment. So that God reveals the dimension of his character. Uh, through these events, um, if if God was to send, if God was to send the whole of humanity to hell, which is which of His character will be displayed? If God was to, was to send all humanity to hell, which which of His character will be on display? Justice, yes. His wrath, yes. His goodness. His goodness, yes, his, yes, his goodness, because a good, a good God must punish sinners. What else? And then I ask, since God has chosen to save a people for Himself, when they will be delivered from from hell. Uh, into his abode, what character of God is put on display? Mercy, yes? Okay, sorry. So, since God has delivered a people for himself, has chosen a people for himself who will be delivered from his wrath on the day of judgment, what character will be on display through that redemption? Yes. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, in choosing. Love, yes. The, the, yes, mercy. The grace, kindness. The, the point I'm trying to make is... God in redemption is displaying to us characters that we will not have known about him. Isn't it? We will not have known about his mercy. Isn't it? We will not have known about his grace. Isn't it? 
because grace is given to the redeemed isn't it so so, so god god has chosen a people there it says jacob i loved esau i hated the amazing thing is not that god hated esau but the amazing thing is god loved jacob jacob was as much as a horrible sinner as esau jacob deserved hell as much as esau yet god chose uh, chose to love jacob and bypass esau So verse 23 tells us there, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has appeared beforehand for glory. So God chose to display his grace, kindness, love, mercy, goodness. And uh, we are recipients of that. Not because of anything we've done. Not because we are special. Um, is it not a mystery to you? why you have been saved really why he has chosen you that there was nothing special about you that, that, that there was nothing that you could put forward to convince God to save you that by his sovereign sovereign will out of multitudes and multitudes of people on this earth he has chosen to save you and he has chosen to bypass others um yeah, is it not amazing, really? Amazing love. How can it be, isn't it? That God has has loved us. Um, that we are no longer objects of His wrath, but objects of His mercy. And so, what's the purpose of the day of judgment? It is the manifestation of His mercy in the eternal salvation of the elect, and His justice in the eternal damnation of the reprobate, those who are wicked, those who are disobedient. And so those are the purposes that are described for us. Um, any question to do with the purpose, and then we shall look at, uh, we shall proceed to look at how that purpose is achieved. Any question to do with the first part of that paragraph? Okay, let's look at the purpose achieved. And then he says there, For then shall the righteous go into everlasting life and receive that fullness of joy and glory with everlasting rewards in the presence of the Lord. But the wicked who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ shall be cast aside into everlasting torments and punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Sorry, before we, we get to that section, may I say something there on the first part? Um, we have the glory of his mercy and the eternal salvation of the elect, and then we have the glory of his justice in the eternal damnation of the reprobate. You see that, that word reprobate there? Uh, presupposes that God does not only choose the elect, 
but there is there is what in reformed theology we call a double predestination uh, that God positively chooses those whom he will save and he negatively decides not to choose uh, those whom he will not save uh, so the uh, if you may be wondering what the word reprobate there means or reprobation <coughs> is that while God is choosing his people in sovereign election he is also leaving others to their own sinful devices that they may perish in their sins so that when uh, when we are when we when we read there in Romans 9 that Jacob I loved and Esau I hated God positively grants Jacob saving faith he positively chooses to love him uh, but then for Esau he is hated because he deserves to be hated if you understand what that means so if you read texts like Proverbs 16 Proverbs 16 and verse, I think it's verse 3, 4. Verse 4, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. So God does not only, uh, does not only choose his elect. God, God has also decreed that uh, the, the evildoers will go to hell. He has also decreed those who will perish. And the Bible says that he has made them for, for the day of trouble. You have other texts like 1 Peter 2.7, um, 2 Peter 2.3, which, which talk about Jude 4, which talk about those, those who are ordained. Um, uh, let me just read uh, a couple of these texts because they are very important. Jude Jude one four says, For certain people have crept unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who perverted the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now who designated them for condemnation? It's it's the sovereign God. In first Peter two seven we read So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the, the cornerstone. Um, then in verse 9 we are told that, uh, sorry, verse 8, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And then it's in that context that Peter tells them, but you are a chosen race. So God has chosen his people and he has also decreed the, the evil. And then lastly, Second uh, Peter chapter 2 and verse 3, we are told that in their greed, they will exploit you. These are the false teachers with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. And so, 
when the writers of the confession write their eternal damnation of the reprobate, they are actually saying that God uh, does this, this thing that we call double predestination. He positively chooses his people, and then negatively he decides. It's a, it's a decision that he makes to leave the evil doers to their own devices uh, and not to save them for the glory of his justice, as we're told there. Yeah. And those who are not chosen for salvation really cannot blame God, isn't it? They cannot say, God, you've taken me to hell against my will, isn't it? Um, it's because they are going to hell because of their sin. It's not because of God. And uh, you see this passage in Romans, it, it does tell us that there's a purpose why God chooses to bypass others. Why does he do that? The passage in Romans. Romans 9, verse 22 and 23. Why does God not save everyone without exception? Are we really together? Are we following? In Romans chapter 9, verse 22 and 23. Why does God not save everyone without exception? There's a purpose there, isn't it? So that he might display his, his characters, isn't it? If, if God chose to save everyone, his, his, his character of wrath will not be put on display, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, so, so, so God does choose to bypass others. And as Paul is saying here, he desires to show his wrath, to make his power known. To, uh, he is endured with much patience. Um, as well as he chooses to save others to display the riches of his glory. Isn't it? Yeah, he also, then verse 15, he, he does it to display his sovereignty. Yeah. Uh, in mercy and compassion. Mm. He, he has mercy on whomever he will, or compassion on whomever he will. Yeah. Secondly, we come to how this purpose is achieved. Um, how this purpose is going to be accomplished. And he says that the righteous will go into everlasting life. Uh, they'll receive fullness of joy and glory and they'll be in the presence of God. That is how God is going to display his mercy in the salvation of the elect. That is going to grant them everlasting rewards, joy, glory and his presence. And then it says, but the wicked who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ shall be cast aside into everlasting torments and punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So we cannot... We cannot be righteous before God as long as we are still guilty of sin. 
And we need our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to clothe us with his righteousness. Jesus Christ bears the penalty of our sin on the cross so that we do not need to make ourselves righteous. He moves in the place. He moves in our place to die in our place. So if Christ had merely died on the cross for our sake, just paid the penalty of our sin, will we still go to heaven? Will we still go to heaven? The answer is no, isn't it? We'll be in a place of innocence. Isn't it? Innocence is not good enough. And so we needed that righteousness of Jesus Christ to be imputed on, on us. So heaven is not a place for the innocent. It's a place for the righteous. And Jesus had to live a holy and a perfect life. Jesus had to fulfill the demands of the law on our behalf. So that his righteous stand, his perfect obedience here on earth, can be counted on your behalf. Isn't it? So Jesus could not just come and die on the cross and it ended there. No. He had to live a holy and a perfect life so that it can be counted on your behalf. And so the righteousness that we, we need to go to heaven, he says there, for then shall the righteous. How are you righteous? You're not righteous on your own. You're righteous because Christ has imputed his righteousness. God has imputed on you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And on that basis, can you be counted righteous before him? Because God is the one who declares us righteous. We are justified in his eyes. We are perfect, faultless, blameless before his throne. And you get this righteousness the moment that we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And thus we can be declared righteous. And so the only way one can have everlasting life is because they are righteous. For then the righteous shall go into everlasting life. But it says there that the reprobate, the non-believers, the non-elect, those who are, he defines them there, he says that they are wicked. But the wicked who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ shall be cast aside into everlasting torments. I believe the reason why all those descriptions are given there as regards to those who will be cast into hell is to show us that this judgment is not arbitrary. God is not just going to send people into hell without a reason. It has been clearly defined for us there that those who are going to hell, first of all, they are wicked. They do not know God. They do not know God because they do not know Jesus Christ. And it says they do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ and then shall be cast into everlasting torments. So the purpose of this day of judgment is to reveal something about God, God's purpose. God's attributes well displayed for us in creation, salvation, judgment. And uh, God has chosen uh, in his sovereign will to save our people, a multitude of every tribe, every nation, every language. And all those who 
are saved do not did not deserve to be saved isn't it they did nothing for them to be saved and so they will have everlasting life they will receive fullness of the everlasting life means that they'll never die again they'll go to heaven they'll never suffer spiritual death they'll never suffer separation from from god they'll never suffer physical death their body and the soul will never be separated again so we'll have we'll be better off than adam isn't it because with adam there was a possibility that he could fall but for those who have been redeemed in jesus christ god has granted them eternal life and they will never be able to sin they'll never be able to sin again because they'll have perfect bodies isn't it they'll have perfect bodies they'll be in the presence of the lord and that's a great blessing for us let's turn to Matthew 25 verse 21 Matthew 25 verse 21 His master said to him Well done good and faithful servant you have been faithful over a little I will set you over much enter into the joy of your master mm. So we have there the parable of the talents and uh the one who had received the five talents came with the with five more talents and um, and Jesus says enter into the joy of your master that's what they get there fullness of joy and glory with everlasting rewards we'll read for us verse 35 as well verse 34 Matthew 25 king will say to those on the right come you are you sorry then the king will say to those on the right come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world mm. yeah so Christ tells us of uh, that great day when all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats so it's very clear for us from that passage that there's going at is a coming day when um, the judgment of god um, will be final and the sheep will be separated from the goats and uh, and you have Jesus there in verse 34 saying to those that are, are going into his presence that they will inherit the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world second timothy 48 
Second Timothy chapter four verse eight. Someone can read for us. talking about rewards, isn't it? That on that final day God is going to crown us with rewards. And, uh, and um, confession says clearly there that uh, we are going to it's going to be a wonderful day when God is going to reward us. Um, Matthew chapter 25 Go back again, verse 46. Foot six, someone can read for us. And this will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so it's clear to us there that there's going to be an eternal separation. Um, some will go into eternal punishment, and others into eternal life and uh, prior to that prior to that passage you, you see Jesus Christ there talking about good works uh, that someone who is truly a believer he will love he love his fellow brethren and part of the, uh, one of the ways he show his love is by feeding the poor giving a drink for those who are thirsty, um, welcoming strangers. And uh, Christ says, um, whatever, you do, whatever you did to the least of this, you did it to me. Mark chapter 9, verse 48. Mark 9, verse 48. And someone can read from verse 45. Matthew 9, verse 45 to 48. This is this week's memory verse. Verse 45, and if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tie it out. 
it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. With the fire, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. And so, Christ is telling us about the eternal abode for those who are wicked, those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, they be cast into eternal fire where the fire is not quenched and the worm does not die. Last passage, second, second Thessalonians one seven to ten. Second Thessalonians one seven to ten. Someone can read for us. So Paul is writing here to the Thessalonians and uh, telling us that God is a just God. He's going to judge fairly. Um, and uh, those who are afflicting the church there, God is going to deal with them. And uh, the believers will get relief for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so you see very clearly from those passages that um, our souls is not going to be annihilated, will not cease to exist. But there's a coming day when all, all shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ and will be judged according to our deeds, our thoughts, and our words. And uh, this passage tells us here that... Um, the, the believers will be given a reward. Verse 10, he says, uh, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So this is the day Jesus Christ will come to save his people. The saints are going to be glorified. Question, comment before we pray.
passage that we have just read in, in Matthew, Matthew 25, is very instructive in terms of ensuring that the consciences of God's people are not, um, they're not judged or tampered with. And, and I say this because it's very easy for us to think that we receive rewards. Uh, uh, sorry, we receive eternal life because of anything that we do when we read this text. But then the reward that uh, our pastor is telling us is uh, there are those those rewards that come from seeking to obey God as Christians. Mm. But then eternal life itself as a gift comes through Jesus Christ alone. Mm. alone. In verse 34 that we've been given there in the confession, uh, Jesus says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, from the foundation of the world and this is when the son of man is coming the lord jesus christ himself and separating um, the, the sheep from the goats and the sheep are the sheep because god has saved them because god the father has drawn them to god the son so the inheriting of the kingdom of god uh, is out of the out of the the work of God himself in saving them but then you also have that other aspect where they will receive rewards um, because they have done righteousness they, they have done good deeds as it were um, I think um, sometimes when we read texts like this we are prone to think that uh, when we, when we stand before God on the final day, we will, uh, we will be exposed, so to speak. But the people of God, uh, I mean, if we are to be exposed, everyone would be exposed. And the thing that would be covering the people of God on the final day is their hope and trust and faith in Jesus Christ being clothed in righteousness. Now, those who will be exposed are those who are hypocrites, those who pretend to be the people of God while they are not. That's, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ constantly calls the Pharisees. He calls them, you, you hypocrites, a brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs. You pretend to be a thing that you are not. Those ones who in hypocrisy uh, pretend to be godly they will be exposed on the last day but the true believers in the lord jesus christ on the last day they will receive fullness of joy everlasting life uh, uh, everlasting reward in the presence of the lord it will be a joyful time for the believer and you know the reason i'm saying this is because uh, when when we say that True believers will be will be exposed. I mean, we we put 
in the hearts of God's people fear to meet him. While the Bible says we should eagerly wait for the return of Christ. We, we will rejoice to be in the presence of God rather than fearing. And we will not rejoice because we have been such good people. We will rejoice because we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And now for the good deeds that we did in Christ, we will be rewarded for them. I think that's very important. Lest we fear meeting our Lord. Yeah. I have a question. In that passage, when Christ sees my brothers, Matthew, he sees the least of this. Matthew 25? Yeah, that Matthew 25, verse 40. When he says, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, is he talking about the brethren or is talking about people in general? I think it's the brethren. Sorry? Brothers and sisters, yes. Those who believe in him. footnote there my brothers our brothers and sisters The stranger there is a, it's a way of speaking. The stranger there is not just anyone, right? Verse 35, for I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did this, when did we see you a stranger and welcome you and naked and clothe you? Um, and uh, my understanding of this text is that when he says, you see, when he says there. He responds to them, and he tells them, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, when he says, I was a stranger and you welcomed me, and he equates that to doing it to one of my brothers, I, I am of the conviction that he is speak particularly speaking of the union that he has with these people. 
so that when we do good to his people, we are doing good to him. The, the, the way the apostle was murdering believers, when, uh, when Saul was murdering believers, and then Jesus appears to him, he asks him, why are you persecuting me? So, so a similar thing is happening here in, in, in my understanding. That when he says, you have done this to me, he's, actu- he's actually saying that when you do it to my people, you do it to me as well. It's as though you've done it to me. And that's, the, that's why they are asking him, when did we see you? When did we see you? And then he says, it's when you did it to my people that uh, you did it to me. Okay, so when he's addressing now those on the left, he is still holding them accountable for not being in him. For not being in him. Oh, I see. Yes. Because if Because yes, so so when he says there in verse forty one, then he will say to those on his left, "Depart from me, you cast into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels." For I was hungry and you gave me no food; I was thirsty and you gave me no drink; I was a stranger and you did not welcome me; I was naked, you did not clothe me; sick, in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, "Lord, when did we see you?" hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you then he will answer them uh, saying truly i say to you as you did not do it to one of the least of these you you did not do it to me so, so that the way we should understand this text is first of all there is a union with christ that is here being talked about so that uh, doing good to the people of god is equated to doing good to God himself. Uh, to, to, uh, doing good to the people of Christ is equated to doing good to Christ himself. Now, the way Jesus speaks here, it's as though when one has been blessed by his father, that's what, that's what he says there in verse 34, when one has been blessed by his father to inherit his kingdom, therefore, he is going to do these, thing, these things that accompany one who is saved, that Christians produce good good works. Now, these people who are asking this, or the ones that Jesus is accusing, he is telling them, uh, you are not, um, you did not have good works that are produced by being in me. And therefore, depart from me, you cast into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's how I understand it. Yeah, so that the reprobate person who feeds the hungry or does all these good good things yes, yes. because he's still not in Christ, yes. he, he falls into this category. Yes. Even though he may say I, I did this. Yes. So 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 works. Jesus is saying that they are not truly good works. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, because one might read this and say, ah, let me go visit the prisoner, let me uh, feed the hungry, or, or do all those things. Give the one who does not have, give the one who does not have clothes, water, the one who is sick. And then, but then you see, that should be, that should be done out of a union with Christ. So that it has meaning for eternity. Uh, and, and I think that this is where Catholicism now uh, mixes faith and works 
so, so that for us, we have faith in Jesus Christ, we have been granted eternal life, and that produces good works. It's not that we do good works, and then we add faith to it, and then we get eternal life. It's actually that we have, we have good works because we have union with Christ first. And then our good works have eternal value. Otherwise, whatever good works we do, when we are not in union with Christ, they have no eternal value. They are, and they are not good works. At the very least, they may appear good to us, but they are not quite good. Because the Bible says even our good works before God are like filthy rags. And you argue then with what we were saying about the brethren that Christ is talking about good works done to his people. Then for the person who is not a believer, he's not even doing it to God's people. Therefore, he's not doing it to himself, to him. Is he trying to, to see that or? That? You see, you see, Christ said you are doing it to me, and you said it's because the brethren are doing all these good works to other brethren. And therefore, because they are serving other brethren, they are serving, they are doing it. That's what Jesus says, yes. Yes, right. So the non believer will probably not even be in the circle of believers. Yes. So he is not serving God's people in that sense. Yes. Therefore, he is not. He's not doing. He's the, not doing these things to Christ. Yes. 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 Yeah. Now, an argument can be made for, you know, an unbeliever being in the midst of God's people and doing those things mm-hmm. to God's people, but then you see, what we had, what we had said earlier, now applies to that case. He or she must fast in Christ. If, if his good works are going to be for any eternal value. Yeah. I agree. If, even if the non believer was to do all these things, he cannot glorify God. So that it cannot be. Yeah, good works. So, so that it cannot be counted on his behalf that he really did. Even if he was to do it to believers, mm. it cannot glorify God because his righteous deeds mm. are like filthy rags. As Jesus says, a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Mm. So as, as long as this person is wicked, mm. no amount of good works can be counted on his behalf. Uh, but a, a good tree... It will produce good fruit, isn't it? Mm-hmm. 